All right, good stuff. How are you doing today? Great to see you. I want to welcome you to Trinity Church. My name is Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here. Very welcome day to you. I love the video. It does a great job of saying, you know what? There are a lot of things we can't do by ourselves. And uh, that's the whole point of what we're doing these last two weeks of August, a real just uh, total focus on small groups and how the, and the importance is of finding a Jesus community to keep doing life with. And we'll talk a little bit more about that today. Uh, in your Trinity this week, you have some notes that look like this. If you want to get those out, that'll help you track along with us a little bit today. And also, if you have a Bible today, we're in the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John's at the back of your New Testament or at the back of your Bible. And um, it comes just before 2 John. That's huge help. Huge help. And if you get to 3 John, you're two books too far. So go back. But uh, 1 John chapter 4, if you want to find your way there, we'll uh, dive in in a second. As you're doing that, a couple of reminders. Today's a big day. We have the Serve Expo. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Or our small group expo, I'm sorry. But then also we have a great event today with um, the Springsteads. We're celebrating their 30th year of serving at Trinity Church. So this after the service, or after our third service today, um, let me rephrase, at three o'clock today, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm trying to think of all the things I have to do after third service. But at three o'clock today, from three to five, right here in uh, this building, we're gonna have a great time celebrating them and the, just the uh, impact they've made in lives and the way God's used them. So please join us. If you can't come for all of it, come for some of it. It'll be from three to five. Uh, just come as you are. We have, we'll have a great time eating and enjoying and talking and laughing, and it'll be great. Um, we mentioned before this, this small group expo. Here's what we're doing. We, we're taking in the month of August, we're taking very seriously this idea of what God says, these things matter. Uh, and, and obviously in the Bible, we read about lots of things that matter. And sometimes that's one of the hardest things to do is to recognize God in a sense, what matters most? Kind of bubble that up to the top. We actually spent some time, we'll be there again today on this topic we're looking at of calling just simply loving one another, how loving each other is so important to God. But, but within that, there's two things that especially God seems to make much about related to followers of Jesus. The last two weeks, we talked about being built to serve, that God has gifted you with, with a unique kind of skill set, a unique kind of spiritual gift set, mix, to be able to put into use to, for the goal of benefiting other people. That's the whole point, is going, how can I help you by the way that God's gifted me, been, been built to serve? These, these next two weeks, today and next week, we're talking about small groups, and that's another thing that God makes much about. I remember it was this time last year as we began to talk on this particular subject, we spent a lot of time talking about the biblical one another's, the one another's, and we'll get to that in just a second, but the idea is you need a context of people where you can invest in other lives and have them invest in you. And there's at least 15 one another's in the New Testament, and you need a context to be able to do that. So two things that really matter to the heart of God, we really emphasize this month in August, especially if you're new to Trinity Church, there couldn't be a better time to be new at finding a way to get plugged in and get involved. So really want to encourage you, go out to the small group expo. We'll be getting done a few minutes earlier. Again, don't clap about that. That really hurts my heart. Um, but we'll be getting done a little early so you can get out there and, and check things out and, and really get involved. This is the time to do that. Um, so what we're going to do today, we're talking about loving one another. It's one of those one another's. Look at, uh, in your notes or on the screen, here's our now what idea. This is what we want to walk out, not just knowing, but doing something about. Joining a small group helps you find a place, helps you find a context to better obey God's directive to love one another. So let's dive in today. Number one in your notes, you know what love is when you understand how God loves you. 
You know what love is when you understand how God loves you. So we talk about this, these one another's, um, the, the simple idea, like what we're going to see all over the New Testament, Jesus' words, the letters of, of Jesus' followers subsequently, is we see these, these uh clear directives to love one another. And anytime we see one of the one another's, it always has an imperative verb first. Bear with each other's burdens, forgive one another, etc. So this is an imperative verb and how to do it towards one another. It's a give and take relationship. So today as we look at this one, if you have thought much about the word love as it is in scripture, you kind of knew we'd be opening our Bibles to 1 John. 1 John 27 times is going to use the word love. It's only a five-chapter-long book. That's an intense amount of just proliferation of this word. It is the second book in the New Testament, the second most references of using the word love. The only one that has more is a book that's 21 chapters long, and it's the book of John. So here you have the Gospel of John and 1 John. Understandably, remember when John refers to himself, he says, I am the disciple, or it was the disciple whom Jesus loved. So he really has this understanding that love is so primary. Last week we saw some words from Jesus himself about that. We'll look at it again today. So love is where it's at, and that's how we're to engage in each other's lives. So as we see this, this is by far the most frequent, frequent of the one another's. Of all the different one another's that we'll see scattered throughout the New Testament, love one another is the one that comes up the most. And that's why we wanted to start off with it as we begin to think through those terms. And within that, what I, what I think we have to do, because our English word love means so many things, we just have to really begin with the idea of what is love. And I so badly want to go back to the 80s and talk about, baby, don't hurt me, don't hurt me no more. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. But I did it, so I'm sorry. So, so <laughs> but but anyway, that's where we have to start. We have to define the terms. And so what I love, and you've seen videos from them before, we use them a lot. Even my devotional I'm using this year brings up a lot of Bible project videos at the beginning of every book. So they've done an incredible video on what the Bible, when the New Testament word most often that we see in the type of love we're talking about today is agape love. So you can fill in that blank, what is agape? And they're gonna tell you, take a look at this video. So if you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's going to feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures, where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is rachmah. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. 
So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like, love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. All right. Isn't that good? I just think they do such a great job, and they're just so uh, visually able to connect with us as well. So I'm, I'm grateful for their stuff. Now, I gave you a definition last week about the word agape, which we just saw the video on. It was the idea of it's a preferential. It's, it's actually the word is based on a comparison that I'm putting you above me. But I'd love if you caught it. I want to give you that. It's like a cousin definition that you heard in the video. It's in your notes. Agape is seeking others' well-being while expecting nothing in return. Maybe that even takes it a step further. It's not just that I would put you above me, but I'm not doing it so that you would necessarily do that back. Now, we'll talk about today, that's the idea of the one another's. It actually is a two-way street, but I'm going to do it with that sense of attitude that I'm not doing this to get, I'm just simply doing it to give. And that's that word, giving to others while not expecting anything in return. 
So the, the passage actually that you saw up there at the end is from 1 John 4. That's where your Bibles are open to. Let's look at that first verse, verse 9. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. These words are so powerful, and if you look, they even present kind of like a parallel. It's almost like two ways of saying the same thing. The first verse begins, this is how God showed his love. And then the second one, this is love. It's almost this great textbook definition. You could put it in Webster's love, colon, here it is. And then both of the verses have the same idea. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him, meaning that God sent Jesus on a rescue mission to dead people. We wouldn't need to live through him if we were already alive. Instead, it was necessary that he sent Jesus to bring us to life. And another way of saying it, we didn't love God first. We didn't do something to earn it. We didn't say, hey, God, this would be so great if you could. We were actually, it says in Romans, we were his enemies. But he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You may be here today, and as you process the love of God, you know, like we've said, you, this one English catch-all word seems to mean everything, and when it means everything, it means nothing. But I want to say to you, if this is a relatively new idea, if you're here today and we're talking about the love of God and you're hearing some of these things like, wait a second, so you're saying that, that God didn't send a hallmark you're saying God didn't just have this kind of bubbly emotion, you know, I'm so in love with them. You're saying that God, in order to demonstrate and show the depth of love, he actually put his son on a cross in my place so that I could be rightly related to him. And I'm saying yes. That is the biblical definition of love. That's what he has done for you. And I think in order to understand how we are to love other people, we have to have a firm understanding of how God has loved us. You can't give what you don't have. So you, when you understand it, when you have this concept, then you're able to understand what that looks like in the lives of other people when you give it away. And then once you do that, you realize that's what it means. First off, when we recognize this love of God, we, we receive it, we respond to it, but we realize very quickly, quickly it's something that's meant to give away. Look at number two in your notes. Once you've received God's love, you realize it's meant to give away. Once you receive God's love, you realize that's the purpose. It's actually now meant to give away. And look at the very next words. We just read 1 John 4, 9, and 10. Look at verse 11, the next words that follow it. Dear friends, since God so loved us, God in this manner, this sacrificial, putting us ahead of himself, not expecting anything in return, since God so loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I want you to hear some straightforward words today. It is the sign of an immature follower of Jesus who is so in love with Jesus vertically but not interested in loving people horizontally. That is a sign of an immature follower of Jesus because Jesus makes it so clear. Even what the, the, the video reference we talked about last week is kind of our main text. Love God wholeheartedly, and I can't even say there's, there, it's only that. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. This is what God has called us to. This is what we call the great commandment. Is really two commandments, loving God and loving people. So it is an immature thing to say, God, I'm so grateful for what you've done for me but I'm not interested in sacrificially, preferentially loving other people ahead of myself. So we keep coming back to this axiom. This is why this is so important. So it might, it might look like this. 
My daughter, Kendi, is sitting down in the front today. She had no idea I was going to do this, which makes it so fun, right? Isn't this great? Isn't this great? And you guys, thank you. You parted the way from me. I could be like right here. She's this close. So imagine my daughter, Kendi. You don't have to. She's right here. But here's Kendi. And, and so for Kendalyn, she has grown up in my home. She's 16 years old. So she has a lifetime of knowing, not just theoretically, but experiencing the way that I have cared for her and provided for her taking care of her needs, put a roof over her head, food on the table. She's had a whole lifetime of that. So if, if we have this kind of connection, she has that kind of history with me. She's not sitting here today going, I don't know if my dad really loves me. I think she would be able to say, relatively? Oh yeah, good, that was, that was even like a, an energetic nod. Thank you, Kenny. I, I got money for you later on, so good job. Um, but, but let's say this, let's say I actually do have money. I, we're getting crazy here at Trinity Church today. I got a whole George Washington today, right? It's huge, huge money. So let's say this. Let's say I have this dollar, and Kendi, in this context, she knows who I am. She knows the way I care for her, and this is what I do. I, I realize that as her dad, it's going to be a foolish thing. I'm going to develop a self-centered daughter if I never teach her how to give. So in what I give to her, there's going to be an, an expectation that she would give what I give away that she would realize that receiving from my dad is not necessarily the point, it's what also I can give to others. So I rip out, I get really big today, go with this whole George Washington, I give it to Kendallin, and I say, here, that dollar's for you, but I'm giving it to you with the expressed intent that you'd give it to Megan, okay? Now, when she hears that, she's like, dad, I can't even buy anything on the 99 cent menu because they always add tax. So, I mean, <laughs> this is not a huge, oh, it's like really hard. But if we were to put a couple zeros, on the end of that, which we're just gonna have to imagine for today, you know. <laughs> um, it didn't, didn't have that available cash to spend. But, but let's say we put a couple zeros on the back end. Now Kendallin receives this $100 bill and it might be a little harder to just willy-nilly hand over to Megan. And what we're talking about is this is the way God has loved us because here's the point. When, when Kendallin's holding on to that $100 bill, what she's thinking about, the stakes are a lot higher, right? And what she's thinking about is, is all the things she could do with that. But when I've clearly given her the directive, hey, what I've given to you, I've given with the intent that you'd give away, even if what she was holding had two more zeros behind it, she could give it away in great confidence knowing that my dad's gonna keep providing for me. He's gonna keep giving me what I need and taking care of me. This is the essence of this axiom we're talking about when God has loved us with the intent, like I'm expressly saying, give it to Megan. So where are you at right now? What are you gonna do? Look at that, you're giving, Megan, you're a whole dollar richer today. This is awesome. Everyone ought to come to Trinity Church. We're giving away money, this is great. So within that, that's the choice. So and when Kendallin's at that crossroads, she's holding this dollar in her hand and she's like, she's been instructed to give it away. She has to make a choice. That, that's what that is, that's where we stand. And that's where you are today when you fathom and, and not just know, again, get beyond, isn't it great? Paul talks about to the Ephesians that we would know a love beyond understanding, a love beyond knowledge. So once you have experienced the love of God, to think that now that's all good because I've received God's love, I don't really need to worry about anything else. Yes, you do. God gives it with an expectation that you would give it away. I really want you to see the last words of that verse, verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Think about this for a second. John the apostle, right, one of Jesus' disciples, he's writing this letter. 
It was very fascinating to me. He just said, no one has ever seen God. John would say in his gospel and in his subsequent letters, he wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and the book of Revelation, John would say Jesus was absolutely God. There wouldn't be a moment that he would say Jesus was anything less than deity. But he just said, no one has seen God. That's a very interesting statement where you're like, was that even contradictory? What do you mean? You spent three and a half years with this guy. John's saying this, no one has ever seen God, and he's referencing, we have seen, even the beginning of the letter of 1 John, we have seen these things. He's lived among us. But John's saying this, we have the incarnate Christ. We had him. He was with us. He's returned to the Father, and now that we're living post-Jesus on the planet, now that we're living be afterwards as his followers, and here we are 2,000 years later doing the same thing, no one today is seeing God visibly like they did when Jesus was on the planet. But as a result, as a result of this, they actually do see him when they see us loving each other. That's what's in your notes. The invisible God becomes visible when we love each other the, when we love, when we love each other the way he's loved us. The invisible God becomes visible when we love each other the way he's loved us. And, he, and you might say, well, Todd, is really that what it's saying? Well, watch this. All that John is saying is he's reiterating what he heard Jesus say. You don't have to turn there, but John chapter 13, the same guy writing that gospel, John chapter 13, Jesus is in the upper room. What's already happened is that he's already like a servant. You saw it in the video, got down, washed their feet. He's giving them now marching orders. He's already said, this bread represents a body, my body broken for you. This cup represents my blood spilt for you. In the same context, he's gonna say these words, John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He's not entering a new command. Was there anything new? Jesus quoted earlier Leviticus. Okay, this is not a new thing to love your neighbor, but Jesus is saying it might, it's a new thing to love them like I've loved you. Because why? I'm going to the cross for you. Jesus in this whole thing that they, they later on would have so much depth of understanding, but in the moment their heads are swimming. Like, what is he talking about? Jesus is saying this is the new commandment that you would love each other even with your lives. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Sounds like a song I remember growing up in the 70s singing, they will know we are Christians by our love. This is how they'll see it. This is how the, the reputation, the understanding goes, is not by all the things we can say, answering all the questions no one's asking, but by loving one another. That's how they see that we're his. I want you to see the power of something. Look at the very end of this line, verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. What? If. If you love one another. And if you look back, if your Bible's so open to 1 John 4, you'll also see if we love one another, God's love is made complete in us. They're predicated on the fact that we would. Predicated on the fact that we have a choice. Like Kendall and holding that hot money in her hand has a choice. Am I going to give it away the way I've been instructed? She has a choice to make. You and I have choices to make. If we love this way, people around us see God. They see his presence. They see his character because he is, like John would say, he is love. A couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> when we were beginning this, uh, this month of where you fit at Trinity, I mentioned the idea that when it comes to relationships, so if, if, if all this is true, if you're like, okay, Todd, I see what the Bible's saying, 
here's what it comes down to. <clears throat> where is the place, where is the sequence of relationships where you're loving like this? This is why we emphasize small groups so much. Where is the context in which you are giving and receiving this kind of love, this kind of preferential love for one another? Remember we said a couple weeks ago when we began that this is not the place. This, this worship service on Sunday mornings, this is not the primary purpose. I mean, what? We gave you all of 30 seconds to get to know everyone in the room today. It's just, and we're okay with that because we realize as much as we want people to connect, especially with those sitting near them and say hello and maybe get a name, our bigger goal for this service is that we would all be preoccupied with God. And during the week, in the small group sequences that you're in, in the small group settings that you find yourself, that you would be living out these one another's. That's where this kind of love happens. That's where it happens best in that context. I think it's interesting, by the way, that John, John doesn't promise that the invisible God becomes visible when you answer all the questions on your discussion sheet. He doesn't say the invisible God becomes visible when you get all the blanks filled in. He says the invisible God becomes visible when they see the way that we love one another. I want you to hear me clearly on this. Hear this, this um, range of extremes. There are some, even in this room right now, who would see small groups and their purpose for probably either one of these extremes. One would be the, the, the reason for a, a small group is primarily a study group. It's primarily a place to talk through issues and get answers and, and get the right answers. This is where I do this. That's, I think, kind of an extreme understanding of a small group. To the other extreme over here is we, we really don't talk about much of anything specifically or look in our Bibles. We're just talking about life. We're just doing life together. We're just talking about each other, and we might remember to pray for one another by the time we're done. Both of those are extremes that I don't believe are in the middle of what God wants, a balance of what God wants in a small group. We've said it already. How are you going to do the one another's if all that you're about is give the right answer to one another? But also, how are we going to live in Jesus' community if Jesus is something on the peripheral, not in the center of what we're doing? So what we're looking for, the reason what we're joining in Jesus' community within these small groups is that we would realize that he's the center of our lives, but we have to get to know one another. We have to begin to demonstrate one another's to each other. There's a beautiful context to do it. In your notes, the primary purpose for your small group is to build community, not to complete a study. Primary purpose for your small group is to build community, not to complete a study. And by the way, like many of you, I've been in small groups at either of these peripherals, at either of these extremes. These groups that are primarily study-based and all about getting the right answers, when push comes to shove, they have no connection to each other's life in any kind of depth. And basically, that was all it is. Did I get the right answer today? There's no way that we're making those kind of connections. Conversely, this group over here, though we might really be involved in each other's lives, we don't understand how to be involved. We don't understand the reason to be involved. Scripture is not the primary purpose of what we're meeting around, and therefore, we don't know how to treat each other. We don't know how to love each other. We don't know how to forgive each other, and they blow up. Either of these extremes, we live out of the bounds of what really what I think God wants for us in the balance. Build Jesus' community. And as you demonstrate the love of God towards one another, the goal, did you catch that last part? The goal of his love is that it would become complete, it would become whole when you demonstrate that, giving it away just like he did for you. Finally today, number three, you give away love best when you're nearby. You give away love best when you're nearby. 
I love this. Last week, we built so many bridges into today by just simply looking at the great commandment as we began, love God, love people. But remember, and I usually summarize it that way, love God, love people. Remember what it specifically says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor, that's kind of the word. And so it's interesting, I want you to look at that word a little bit in your notes. The Greek word that we translate neighbor, as well as though the English derivation, it simply means a near dweller. Someone who lives near you. Now, some of you are blown away right now. You're like, Todd, all my life, I've been using the word neighbor. I had no idea it meant the person who lives next door to you. I had a feeling you, you might know that. But I want you to see this, though. I want you to see in this context how important, how rich this word is related to proximity and related to relationship. Jesus said, love your near dweller." Love the one that you're nearby like you would love yourself. That's a powerful word when you start thinking about that. And I know, by the way, this is a fascinating word in our culture today. Contextualize, we live in Southern California, and your neighborhood might be dissimilar from mine in a lot of ways, but there's probably a huge similarity. And the similarity is, as you drive onto your street, you push your garage door opener, it opens up, you drive in, and you might push it before you even get out of the car, and it closes before you can, and all of a sudden, that's the only thing that anyone near you would have known as the door went up and went down again. We live isolated lives, and I'm not here to make social commentary, I'm just telling you the way I know it is in most neighborhoods. So now that begs the question, if you were to say, well, God, I wanna love my neighbor as myself, I don't know them. Lots of them, I really don't know. And on occasion, there's been reason to connect. So let me say this. Number one, I think of your neighborhoods as really the most prime place to begin. God, I, I might not have a lot in common. I don't know what they do, anything about them. I've been living in this house for 15 years. I don't know their names. As awkward as that might be to begin, it makes a lot of sense. They dwell nearby. But it's not the only place. You can't get away from some of your coworkers. They dwell very nearby Lee, okay? <laughs> Students that have just gone back to school. You have classmates that dwell very nearby Lee and in some ways completely annoy you, I get it. But they dwell nearby, that is your neighbor. Different people that you have, different things in common with that keep bringing you back together, these are your neighbors, they're nearby. Now you might say, well Todd, you know, what about the times when, when God brings someone across my path that I would have never met? Maybe I'm in the checkout line at the store. Maybe I, I stop on the side of the road to help someone, whatever it may be, and I say, praise God. Those are awesome ways. What happened when someone who, who Jesus was talking with, he understood this was the greatest commandment, to love God and to love people, and then wanting to justify himself said, but who's my neighbor? This is the whole summation of the question. That's the context, and we have the parable of the Good Samaritan. These guys didn't live anywhere near each other. The guy was on the road, got beaten and bruised, left in a ditch to die, and this guy who has no context with him, he comes and he meets his needs. So we say, praise God when your life intersects with people that in that moment, you get to be their neighbor. But watch this, but how much better? As good as that is, and as much as we wanna have our radar up saying, God, whoever you bring across my path today, I want to love well. But God, you have put a group of people around my life that I see so often. So many times our eyes are up here thinking there's someone we have to find when right under our nose got to supernaturally, strategically place people. And you know what? This group of people are harder to love than them. 
I can cross your path and never have to deal with you again. I gotta put up with you all the time. This is where love happens. This is where the one another's happen. This is the context. And so what I'm saying, trying to say so clearly today is that if you're in a sequence of relationships and you realize, you know what? I don't really have a, a context to do this. I don't have a, a continually connected group of people that I get to do the one another's with. That's the purpose of our small groups. That you recognize this is what I need to do. I need to have this kind of proximity. I need to have this kind of consistency that I can continue to do life with. Now, one thing I wanna be careful today is this, and this weekend next, we wanna be careful not to oversell small groups. Some of us can hear this today and go, you know what, a place to be loved, a place where people are gonna do the one another's, at least for me, I don't know if I'll do them back, but at least I'll receive, this is awesome. Like, who, who doesn't want that, right? I wanna be careful to say, number one, the one another's mean exactly what they say, to do this one to the other. You come not just to receive, but primarily to give. And God will take care. Remember what we said earlier, Kendi doesn't worry about if she's gonna be provided for. She knows in that context, she knows she's experienced care and concern, therefore she has something to give away. Joanna's here this morning, and one thing we would say in the different small groups we've been in as a married couple, we would say often at the start of them, they've been some of the most awkward things that have ever happened to us. I'm gonna be real, real gut level. But I will tell you this, the small group that we spent nine years with in the high desert and the group that we're in right now who've been together for the last year and a half are some of the dearest friends that we have and some of the people that we go through the deepest valleys and ride the highest crests along with. And I wouldn't trade it. This is the nature, this is the purpose, developing a context to be able to do the one another's toward each other. That's what God has, and that's why I want you to take this step. As we finish today, here's my encouragement of why you need to get involved in a group Number one, God said it's really important. Did I miss a blank? You guys are awesome. Put that back up again. Oh, it's about there. I'll get there in just a second. Um, two reasons why it's important. Number one, I'd want you to know this because I want you to think of the idea of how God says this is important. He, he lays, the, remember the, all of these were imperative verbs. There were mandates. Do this, love. Love is not a suggestion. Love is commanded. Love one another. So within that, I want you, I want me, I want us to wrap our lives around what God says matters most. But secondly, I want you to experience, I want you to know the joy of being in a context where Jesus' community is rich, where you get to do this life on life and get to see what it looks like to really be the body of Christ. So here's the last point. If you don't have an answer for where you're presently are engaging the command to love one another, then there is a foundational piece missing to your obedience to Jesus, and there's something you can do about it today. I wanna encourage you as you go out onto the plaza between home groups that are available, between men's groups and women's groups, recovery groups are all out there. I just wanna encourage you to go with that attitude and especially, especially if you're relatively new to Trinity and you're like, I just have never really got plugged in. I was even telling a couple today, they just started coming in the month of August. This is the best month of the year to come to Trinity because there's so many easy ways to get plugged in. We're working on creating more throughout the year, but man, I'm so excited for this opportunity. Again, we're ending service early, so if you have kids to pick up, I would just encourage you, let them be in our program for another 10 minutes, and at 10.45, it'd be great if you pick them up, but otherwise, spend some time out on the plaza, get to talk to some people, get signed up into a group. Let me pray, and we'll let you go. Father God, we come before you today, and we are a people who are very rich in the way that you've loved us. 
We stop and consider what it meant for you to say, much more than uh, a simple gesture, more than an emotion. It said so clearly today, this is how you've loved us. You sent your son to bring us to life. You sent your son to die in our place. That's the kind of love we never just want to talk quickly about and move on. That's the kind of love that needs to stop us dead in our tracks. Go, God, I am so undeserving. I have no thing I have to offer you. But like the nature of the word we've talked about today, that is the whole point. God gives because of who he is. His nature is love. So we thank you that you are that. And thank you so much for Jesus taking our place. Would you help us to be a people who move from immaturity to maturity? And in our maturity, would we realize as much as you have given to us by way of love, we want to give it away. God, help us to be those people. Let people know we are your followers because of our love. We love you and we thank you for this day and we pray in Jesus' great name, amen. If you need prayer for any reason today, our prayer team is gonna be down front. Otherwise, have a great Sunday. Join us at three o'clock today and otherwise we'll see you next week.